Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Minute Maid Lemonade of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Tragic Skateboarding Accident at the Overkill Show. <laughs> is, it so tra- is it so tragic? No, no, it's I, I'm, I'm doing that like to be socially acceptable, but I highly approve of any tragic accidents that happen at Overkill Shows. Mm-hmm. And I am... Squidbert inflation fetish. <laughs> okay. I forgot to say I'm the black. I guess I'm Squidbert inflation fetish. No, that's okay, that's what you are for. Guy. That's what you are for the rest of the show now. Well, I guess I <laughs> fucking dox myself. You sacrificed your own identity at the altar of comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I re- Oh God! No, I I remember. Um, Overkill is one of those bands where it's like I I think that nobody actually likes them. They just say they do to piss me off. It's like it's like people saying that they like Anthrax. I think they're all lying to me. It's it's just a patch that appears on jackets that were like ordered on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I, uh, I I went to a show where Overkill was headlining and. Um, me and my, I think we were seeing Symphony X or something, me and some buddies of mine. Mm-hmm. And we were like, well, we're here for Symphony X, but Overkill's up next. Let's just, let's give like two songs a try. And, I, and we, we walked out halfway into the first one. We were just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Every, everything we assumed about this was <laughs> exactly what, right. What was it like? Was it, was it fun? It, it it was um it it was fun but trying to be very tough at the same time. Hmm. Imagine uh imagine Anthrax for people who have been to the gym in the past. All right, you motherfuckers! I want to see those fucking boogie boards on this stage right now, you <laughs> little pussies! That's right. Hey, all. This is Brandon from Cromlech, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, so we had a, a guy on the Discord recently request some more uh, wolves and winter type stuff, and although I'm I'm afraid I can't bring you that, uh, because there just isn't much good wolves and winter stuff coming out now, uh, I can bring you two excellent black metal records that are uh, very much in the. 90s and shortly thereafter Scandinavian tradition. Uh, the first of these is Facade by Asgrau out on Death Prayer Records. Asgrau is a name that if you listen to the show for a while you've, you've already heard the name a ton and you've probably thought like who are they? How is that spelled? Like, <laughs> um, we, We've talked a lot about the Dutch bands around the Hayden's Heart scene uh, um, and we've covered a band that shares, well, the two cent- uh, two, two, two out of three members of uh, Asgra, right? Meslam Teo, we've covered twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered the, the last two full lengths by that project. Right, yes. And, and the drummer in this, uh, Floris, also has Chavot, who we covered. And he plays in uh, Sagenland with uh, Aryan from Hedon's Heart. <laughs> so very incestuous. <laughs> it's it's a, yes. Well, these these gentlemen get things done, right? Uh, you know, it feels like it's been a while since the last one, but that's only because it's been the entire time we've been doing this show. Like mm-hmm. the last record came out right before the show started. So last one was Eastval in 2020. 
Before that, Gronsbeck in 2018, they have reliably done a record every year since uh, 2014. Which every is two years. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, every two years. Sorry. Yeah, the long year. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, and it's funny because, like, I think my fundamental reference points for this scene have been things like Osgrow and Killed. And we did review Killed last year. Um, yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. But we just haven't heard. Um, that much of them comparatively, especially Osgrow. So what what do you make of it, buddy? So well, this is funny just because, like, you've talked about Asgrow a lot, but I've I've just never gotten around to them until this record. Um, and I don't know if it was something you said about it or just the way you talk about it, but I was expecting something, like, way more austere and Spartan than this. And mm. you, you wrote in the notes that I might have been thinking of Arjun's band Cultus, and I think it's like part that and part just like the way you the way you talk about some of the black metal you like makes it sound like the opposite of what I would like. But it turns out that Asgro is like directly up my alley. So. What, I, I always figured you would like it. Yeah. What What if these are just stereotypes of what the black metal guy likes? Right. It, it, it's just. So, so yeah, there there he is, just cooking breakfast, listening to scraping metal noises played by. Two Tuvan goat herds. Um, uh, Fifth harmonies, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but but yeah. So Asgro is well. It's strange because it, it's it's very aggressive down the line black metal and works very much by certain classic techniques like uh, bat, hypnotic, but really more like battering repetition of riffs. Uh, um, high contrast shifts between the sort of uh, between the crushing attack part and the glorious chords, although everything is pretty crushing and pretty glorious. Uh, and um, sort of, you know, stripped down riff by riff kind of song structures. Uh, however, there is a tremendous range within that. They, they, it's full-spectrum black metal that is just done in this sort of condensed and economical way. And that also has the kind of uh, specificity that you really like in some of your favorite underground bands, mm -hmm. right? This isn't just trying to encapsulate the entire spirit of the second wave or everything black metal can do. It is also a very specifically Dutch take on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, the mood uh, here, you, the mood you could not get from 90s Scandinavia. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, after hearing this, it, it really kind of, if this is like, in your opinion, one of the centerpieces of the Dutch scene or this particular mm -hmm. wing of the Dutch scene, it really kind of puts everything together um, in a distinct way for me. Like, you know, I've heard all these other different pieces on other records that we've covered mm -hmm. over the past couple of years, but now it's like, okay, this really pins down the, the, the primary thread running through all these bands. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I feel like we should, as, as a reference point for just, you know, I guess what I would call, yeah, maybe for like the, the classic Dutch sound and the classic Asgro sound and, um, uh, and so for, for you to get an idea of where they're developing from as a band, I figured we'd go to one of my favorite tracks from Gronspec, uh, which is the 2018 one. And I think is their, you know, still their magnum opus. It has a really beautiful cover that's sort of like late Van Gogh with a very mm -hmm. haunting windmill. It's, uh, one of the coolest and most unique modern black metal covers, but, um, 
but yeah, so this is the, this is going to be from the third track, uh, Skur, which I'm, no, that I'm pronouncing that like fake Swedish. Who knows how they <laughs> say it? Uh, fuck if I know. Um, and uh, and what what you'll hear is like something a lot like this record, uh, but it's got maybe even more of the the storming Scandinavian sound, but it's also a lot brighter than you might expect. And you'll hear this like very high contrast approach, right? Uh, and these like big, broad chords, a lot of density. All right, so um, yeah, let's just uh, get into that. just kind of like like you know like just the sort of bursting energy there yeah and that like comparatively because like i said i'm Mm -hmm. unfamiliar with other Mm -hmm. asgrow that one sounds more distinctly kind of um second wave and like uh, more committed to that sort of period piece conceit um, than the newest one. It's really cool, and I, I can see like the the. It's obviously the same band, but that one seems like it's more dedicated to a late '90s style, which is still certainly present on the new one, but it's very distinct there. I, I hear that. Yeah. Well, you've got the just the heavy. You can hear like almost the thrash in the first riff, right? This sort of like heavy downbeat attack. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, you don't you don't really hear riffs or like drumming no. like that in black metal anymore. Those those quick little gallops on the kick drum and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can also hear that there's a complex. Even though it's very riff driven, there's a com- internal complexity to the riffs. You're going to talk about this later, I think. But like. You can hear like the riffs often have multiple are basically composite, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like well, it's it's interesting that you know clearly there is something to Asgard because like whenever we land on the same distinct idea, it must be meaningful. You know, the idea that Asgard is primarily concerned with a study of contrasts between 
pairs of ideas yeah. and pairs of moods. Yeah, and you can hear that contrast in extreme form here. Maybe even more extreme form on certain other parts of the album. Like I almost played Wolfenblood, the second track, mm-hmm. um, and that is uh, that just basically has this like crushing down tempo D beat riff, and then gets this sort of majestic melancholy riff. But here you get this sort of like the thing that you know the other thing you get on the the track I just played is the sort of brighter atmosphere. Right, you get the mm-hmm. like the turnaround, and that that sort of storming downbeat riff turns around in this that sort of uh, you know ascending thing, and then when it rolls into the double bass, you know the whole uh, those sorts of more ringing chords start to dominate, right? Mm-hmm. And you get this really long sort of highly melodic, colorful chord progression. And in that, you can hear the other characteristic aspect of the Dutch scene, which is this sort of um, idiosyncratic use of Slav black metal. They're not, like, Mm -hmm. imitating it directly, trying to play Slav black, imitating those moods, but they're using, though, that way of doing, you know, uh, folk... I think Ariane called it sort of folkish black metal playing, right? That's still, like, specifically riffy, but very folky. And... um, they're using a lot of those techniques. They're using the drone and the jangling, jangling big chords. So you get like a lot of astrophase, early druid, graveland. Yeah, um, they're using like very similar chord voicings, but with very mm-hmm. different intervallic choices. Yes, and some of those intervallic choices are coming from Toka. We've talked about them as very important. Yeah, that's that's very clear on this record, and mm-hmm. it kind of took you reminding me in the notes about that. But mm-hmm. that Toka seems to be like. A, a central point to all these bands, like something operating constantly in the background as being a very important reference point. Yeah, it's pretty much them and the Slav stuff. And on this record, the Slav stuff has really, res- it, it's still here, but it's really background. The, the mood on this record is less distinctively folky. Um, and it sounds... Um, it, it sounds equally sort of rural, but less ancient. And I, would, I don't mean that in a bad way. No, I would I would describe it as a, kind, of a, kind of a slant comparison, but this record is kind of like a less gorked Gendod. No, it totally makes sense alongside Gendod, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, another another thing, it's also like hate spirit. Yeah, like yeah, a less gorked hate spirit. Like, maybe Gronspec is a bit more like that because you have these intense, high-contrast, grinding, punky parts and then the sort of glorious parts. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's... Again, it's a slant comparison, but that's another cool band with a unique kind of uh, foresty northern sound that we've talked about. Well, speaking of... Before we get into the sample, speaking of less gorked, something that really mm-hmm. interested me about this, as well as the other album we're going to cover on today's episode, is... Um, this comes across to me as being, despite how very down the line and authentically black metal this is, like remarkably accessible music, like mm-hmm. way, way more accessible than most of the stuff that we cover. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I said that Asgraf seems to be a band that to me takes bands like Dimmu Borger or Ulver extremely seriously like mm-hmm. as black metal bands and incorporate some of those ideas in there. And I was kind of wondering, is this a remarkably accessible kind of Asgrau record or have they always kind of milled around that? Well, I mean, I think they're, 
You know, like, right, the funny thing, like, I think Gronspec, you know, you could hear those gigantic riffs, mm -hmm. right? It has, it has a lot of melody and a lot to hook people, but it's definitely not as, it doesn't have the sort of simplified hook melodies that you get here. Or yeah. the kind of, like, deliberately, deliberately, like, there. It's, it's more based on these sort of, like, dense, complex chords with some internal dissonance or weird textures. Here it's a lot more like we give you the we give you the one we give you the minor third we give you the five we give you the octave it sounds huge right um, <laughs> and it does <laughs> yeah it, it fucking does right there and and that's not you'll get plenty of the complexity you'll get plenty nuance here right these guys have a very distinct way of playing guitar right mm -hmm. this guitarist Val isn't in any of the other bands we've covered yeah um, that's interesting. Yeah he's, yeah, he's kind of the odd man out because, you know, but, the other two are formed the majority of Muslim Taya. So. But you can hear how close all these dudes are, even if not all of them hang out with all of them or something, although I suspect they do. There's just a really strong common language between mm, all these yeah. bands. Like, this guy sounds like he could be playing in Meslam Taya. Um, yeah, yeah, he could. It, it's, um, there's a very clear sensibility. That's why I would say the Dutch scene is one of the very strongest going now. Um... And, uh, but yeah, so in terms of like, this record is a little more, this is more poppy, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yes. But like, it, it's preserved a lot of the important stuff and yeah, well let's, and you know, the irony is right. Yeah. In an age when the, the so-called deep underground is just deliberately janky pop music. <laughs> this is, uh, both way more honest about what it's doing and way fucking harder. Well, I think it's right. I think it's cool when we land on you know we we usually only find a couple a year, but the idea of something that is very authentic to dedicated black metal fans like us, but could also conceivably be like a starter record mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. someone new to the scene. I think that's cool. I think those records should still be made, and it's always interesting when we run across something that manages to thread the needle for all kinds of audiences. So speaking of which, maybe that that sets up very nicely our first sample. Right, which is um, a minute into the first tractor, uh, uh, track. What is a track? <laughs> yeah, because you're thinking very rurally, right? Uh, now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you're, in a, you're in an agrarian mood right now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's the windmills, man. Um, so uh, we're we're. we're <laughs> Yeah, we're we're gonna uh, the the first track is uh, "Ver Splintered Hoot," uh, and we are uh, you're gonna hear sort of like two kind of familiar things. We're like we've heard an A repetition and a B repetition, so we're back into A two B two now, mm -hmm. and these are both sort of recognizable from the last sample uh, or akin to it. But then you're gonna hear something new.
that last blast riff. <laughs> that last <laughs> there's that one chord in there that just like like just like so uh that just weird furious like, warbling one. The yeah. inversion one, just just a vicious chord, man. Um and and that's that's like, you know, the the Gronspec stuff and like, you know, the kind of Asgra thing that you know, I was playing playing earlier, and there's plenty of that stuff here. However, it's it comes as the um, you know, the sort of like the rocket off the back end of this gloriously indulgent mid tempo section. Yeah. Uh, and we were trying to debate what the hell was going on there. When I heard that, I was like, "Well, that must be the demo war gear, Jesus." And then I was like, "I like it." Um, <laughs> but you uh, you saw it a little bit differently. Yeah, well, that part was like like two major key for Dimu. It's like you have to remember like Dimu's prime time is before those ideas got popular. Um, that's um, that could be like the most indulgent part of uh, a Toka song. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, the part that really sounded like Dimu to me was that loping part that you described as Gravelandy right before. Yeah. That's very like Stormblast because I think that the riff there is almost a play off something like uh, Broderscopet's Ring off of that mm-hmm. record. Um, it's really interesting just the melange of influences. Well, and well the things the keyboards are doing there, I can definitely hear as being Dimu y. I was oh, yeah, connecting yeah. it to like the Dutch way of doing Graveland stuff, like an Untar, which is mm-hmm. a little more sort of solemn and. Uh, but, like, I mean, it could just be those things converging, right? I mean, like, why wouldn't it be? Of course it would be. Yeah. Well, right. and it's also, um, so one thing that's interesting, though, like, listening back is the way those riffs are lined up and bounce off of each other and the way they start sort of um, fracturing parts of riffs and recontextualizing mm-hmm. them like that that final riff which ends up being a, a blurring of those really uh sort of dissonant tense warbling mm-hmm. chords with you know the last fraction of that like glorious riff so the contrast mm-hmm. isn't merely between the riffs but within the riff itself which kind of like amps up the yeah. tension and the energy continuously throughout the song yeah, even though there are way fewer moving parts, they kind of do that thing that Axis of Advance does, and that we heard, um, and that we heard Galicia doing so well in the last episode, or, right? yeah, they're like or decomposing even, and recomposing riffs, or yeah. even some of the brutal death stuff that we've covered this year. You know, yeah, where yeah. they're just sort of like intricately rearranging parts of yeah. riffs into entirely new contexts. Yeah, modular writing. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I hear what you mean. The vicious blaster at the end picks up parts of the glorious chorus, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of synthesizes it into an entire statement. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking of this contrast, uh, that that is the thing that defines wait, this record. Yeah. Wait. Re- real quick. One thing I want to say about the big epic part was yeah. that if it reminded me of like a single thing I've heard recently, it, other than Doom of War Gear. Uh, it reminded me of like this big chorus moment at the end of In the Still of a Northern Full Moon, I believe, which is the the first track on Setheriel's Nord. Oh, um, man, that's a that's an obscure cut. <laughs> it, it was it was never a big one for me back in the day for whatever reason. You know, I was young, so I was probably like, I've got Emperor, I've got Kvist, my head is full now, thank you. Mm-hmm. Right, but um. Uh, but like it's it's a damn good record, and it's interesting because it's like deliberate. Most of the track is deliberately like super dense, obtuse, horror vacuey, storming second wave stuff. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's it's less thrashy. You know, there's not so much vestigial thrashism or whatever in, mm-hmm. as an emperor. Um, and and it's not as spooky sounding, right? It doesn't date as yeah, much. Ethereal is kind of grinding in a weird way. It's grinding. It's more death metal-y. It's also more sort of modern in its tonality. But then it gets to the back end, and it, they do the Eye of the Black Wizards thing. But they do it like... <laughs> It's almost like it inverts. It's like it's far less sophisticated than the Emperor version, right? Like when Emperor doing the classical parts, it's very sophisticated and it does not sound spoopy. Um, and on this, uh, suddenly Cetheriel just pull out this like just like big one minor six seven chord progression and just rock it out, and it sounds awesome, right? And it's probably one of the very first times anyone did that. Yeah, it's the, um, the final conclusion of just like, yeah, just do the riff, do the riff that's there in your head that you mm-hmm. know you want to. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they certainly gave in to Satan there. Um, but it, yeah, so it, and Cetherial is, I think, a thing I've heard referenced in the Shavuot press or things like that. Mm, and okay. they've been, they've been coming around again. Also, that Gregorian record that I liked so much that mm, came out okay. a little while ago was very Cetherial influenced, although I didn't mention that. It was in the press release. I got you. Mm. Um, anyway, so, so your turn. Uh, contrast. Uh, that that seems to be like the name of the game for Asgrath. That seems to be the defining character. Uh in the sense that it works structurally, um, none of these riffs on the every individual riff on this record is really cool, but functionally they're designed to work as riff pairs. Um, riff A, riff B, alternating with each other, which is going to be a structural conceit that opens damn near every song on this record. Very traditional. Um, but really, it's about the interaction between those two and the sort of neck-snapping contrast, usually between a very sort of brightly colored epic idea and a much darker, more furtive, sort of like thrashy, second-wavy sort of idea uh, on guitar. Um, and that is kind of, in essence, how these guys try to encapsulate that sort of full-spectrum black metal idea. And moreover, it accesses the sort of like late 90s, early 2000s ideas, uh, sort of like early trench coat era black metal, where, you know, second wave black metal had kind of collapsed in on itself, and there were a lot of people left over trying to figure out what to do at this point. Mm-hmm. And that was a period where plenty of people say, yeah, it's, you know, it's a dark age for black metal. But as we've gone back, we found tons of great records from that era. Mm-hmm. Um but the thing is, it was an era where there was a kitchen sink approach. People didn't know the direction to take black metal in, so they just started fucking around and seeing what they could do. And something that they got really into was super aggressive contrast between sections, um, which can be a complete failure and was plenty of the time. But certain techniques were developed in that era, and that seems to be an era that Asgrave really focuses on. So here on the third track, uh, Zilus, um, you're going to hear just an absolute A-plus sort of uh, black punk riff um, mm-hmm. that counterpoints against a, a much folkier sort of Graveland-inspired one. Um, and they melodically don't interact with each other that much. Like, it is designed to be sort of abrupt and jarring. But mm-hmm. as the song develops you start to see these ideas mesh more and more, sort of like we heard on your last sample, 
and you start to get the sense that, oh, what are these songs about? They are about the counterpoint between two primary ideas and how they eventually find each other throughout the course of the track. So yeah, we were talking through that. You can hear how, okay, so you've got this great sort of interplay between these first two ideas. Uh, That opening riff is probably one of my favorites on the record. Um, I love that it's like, it's it's like three friendly cat riffs stacked on top of each other simultaneously. It's like there there's three very simple sort of pop punk black metal riffs in there, but they just combined all of them really fast into one super riff. It's fucking killer. It, well, it sounds um, a lot more sort of medieval or yeah, you know, yeah. classic. Well, you were describing this very much like our lock. Yeah, our yeah, the the last our lock record let us down a little bit, but in in their the the two records before that just had this like barnstorming sort of blitzkrieg French black metal energy and that riff is very much like them yeah and there are little shades of sort of this the French heroic style the osculum and fam and Seigneur Volant cropping up like throughout this record in ways that I think are kind of new for Asgro yeah and it's but it's also interesting because you hear the inflection they put on these melodies is different it's just like yep. certain certain like they they have ways of like they like to start high up the fretboard and then dive mm-hmm. down to accentuate mm-hmm. a lot of the time, which I think is really cool. I mean, it's a simple inversion, but not a lot of people do it, so it's distinct. Um, so then we get into that 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 really pretty but still kind of like dark, foresty, uh, arpeggiated riff. Back to the A riff, back to a modification of the B where it's no longer arpeggiated and they're just doing it as the sort of like tetrachords or something right there. Um but then you can hear how those ideas start to come together on riff C. 
shades of both of those riffs start to interact with each other. Like melodic fragments start mm-hmm. to interact. So I'm really starting to think it's like maybe that's how. Yeah, the, ever- the last riff is like a composite of the of mm-hmm. A and B. It's it's the say it has the descending waltz form of the third one, but has the sort of more uh, resolute chords of the first yeah yeah it's um and and, uh, listening to this more and more it's like i'm wondering if that's like the structural conceit of all these songs is riff a riff b how do they find each other how do they meet in the middle by the end of the song um and i really like how i really like how kind of concise these songs are i like how there is a sort of like rigorously limited scope you can have very elaborate kind of harmonic ideas going on but these are like four or five riff songs just mm-hmm. littered with tiny organic variations that help to create mm-hmm. that sort of organic merging of ideas over time. I, it, it's a very, very sophisticated record using very simple tools. I can't remember which where it exactly it is, but I swear there's one of these places where they do one of these just amazing tremwall things with just these like processional majestic broad majestic chords and uh, that they're very good at and they do four reps of a very long phrase and I think every single one of them is different. Mm-hmm. And being able to do that and not have it sound janky is like to have it like flow in a necessary way is like really hard yeah it's a and that's Mm -hmm. it becomes the meta melody of the whole passage is the way those endings interact and build upon each other and and that's a technique that they use through i mean yes they use that idea of like an overall motion carrying through every repetition everything that seems like an individual riff they use that a lot and there are some real like they used it a lot in conspect too but there are really extreme versions of it here Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, right, it's like I was saying when you sampled it, like, yeah, you could hear that really cool synthesis effect at the end. Um, but like, it also, you know, part of the the pleasures of like rigorous, rigorous music like this is that like just the simple A-B repetitions are really satisfying. Like yeah. I told you, like you sampled like at first, most of your sample up to the end was A B A B with a slight variation, and uh, I was very tempted to do that with my next sample. Or actually, no, they they do like like two minutes of one riff, and I was just like, yeah, sick. This is my sample. <laughs> um, no, it's a it, it's interesting, especially looking at this uh, contrasting with other projects. I think that sort of like structurally, this is almost. Um, maybe a at least in my view a more successful interpretation of what the uh what the Sagenland uh record was trying to do uh, mm. while I groomed where it w- which was a cool record but felt like it was big on these sort of like circular motions these broad circular motions across a single track where it's attempting to sort of like reunify itself at the end I think this has like an almost similar structural conceit, but this one succeeds better. Hmm. I feel like the 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 riff is like I think Sagenland depended on high contrast between sort of bashing punk riffs and melodies that are like more florid than this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's, it's the melodies delicate. are sort of yeah, yeah, a lot of kind of delicate, almost major key, poignant folk melodies, and like, I, yeah, maybe that formula has not been perfected yet in Sagenland, but um. But, like, I, I hear what you mean for sure. Well, here's another thing. So, like, although 
Yeah, although contrast is very important to this band, right? The other thing that's fundamental to the method is that there's a singular atmosphere throughout. Always, yeah, I was about right? to say, there is a contiguous like, mood despite and, the, the musical contrast going and on. And that is the basic principles of the earliest, most primitive second wave songwriting. It's just like, you know, the brutal part is the epic part, the epic part is the brutal part, right? That is the mm -hmm. I am the Black Wizards technique. However, um, yeah, so like the, the the sample I did from Gronspec very clearly had that. Um, there was, you know, the, the attack riff and the chorus riff each were kind of a lot like each other. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't like evil and then like triumphant, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, and so they've always had this mastery of an overarching atmosphere. And one thing this record does is even though it's based extremely on this like plane of contrasts it is more it has a more homogenized mood than grand spec does and part of this has to do with i think what you're noticing about the like pairing and pulling together is just really is fundamental for the band for sure because you can think about it on the level of album to album mm -hmm. right grand spec was this kind of like boisterous pretty martial uh very like uh you know uh this, this record that just had this sort of like play of light and sh you know this rapid play of light and shadow that we say is really important for the Dutch bands right mm -hmm. and uh it was yeah and so, so it was all that Isval the last record I was not crazy about it was a it was the record was dealing with everyone expecting you know the dread and anxiety of impending collapse or rather arriving collapse right in slow motion and you know fair enough right good theme but the music was a lot more the riff seemed kind of derived from Gronspec and they were very it was just kind of melancholy and drawn out and uh you know a little too introspective and meandering for mm -hmm. me uh it 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 was um however it was this step however one thing it was was clearly an attempt to make a more sustained like focused atmosphere and maybe more focused on the darker or more negative side of things right mm -hmm. um maybe uh well facade brings those together right yeah. facade has the as you can see on the cover right if facade is like it, it's like we'd say that the dutch metal is often a kind of gray right and that might be the gray of like flashes of sun and dark cloud like on ground spec or it might be this which is just fucking mist yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and this is a very misty gray record. And the overall mood is more, you know, I mean, I think they would say melancholy in the, in the press release, but it, it's like a high sorrow. There's, you know, this 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 music feels sad, but just like tormented. It's, it's like it's, tormented and lonely. It's interesting because it, mm. like it, this record doesn't scan that way to me at all. Like th this is like this is this gives me a very similar feeling to those like Toko records that I love, where it's just it's it's this is like fucking high flying. Fucking just awesome mountain adventure well, well, music. That, that's, <laughs> well, that's where I was going. It's also that. And it's been blended very successfully. No, I guess what I was trying to say was it's not like the kind of sad stuff that I really dislike in black metal. Mm, yeah, it, yeah, it's not depressive. Shit, yeah. It's not mopey. It's not depressive or introverted. It's the kind of... This is what links it to the Furton, too. There's a kind of sorrow that I think is very proper to black metal. And that is like... 
consistent with boldness and high energy and affirmation right mm-hmm. and this this director just has that in spades like i think if you'd like compared it if you listened to all of Gronspec, you would hear what i mean okay right that, yeah. that record is just sort of more like shimmering and also just like rapidly aggressive in certain places and this record is a little more sort of continuous moody uh and there's this kind of like um you know, even the really, yeah, it all, some of the really poignant parts kind of tear at you a bit. But it's just like being a crazy motherfucker wandering around on the moors, right? <laughs> it's, you know, um, it's it, it's a, uh, it, it's, it's sad badass music, which is what black metal should be. Whereas I feel like the last one was a little just kind of too depressive. Does that make sense? No, I get that, yeah. Yeah, um, so like very successful integration of those. Uh yeah, it's certainly a lot more. It's it's also very exuberant. And so, like, so here, let's get to, speaking of that more gray mood, right? Sometimes it's mist. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, knife. It's Sometimes it's, you know, steel, right? Or gunmetal. Mm-hmm. And we get that on uh, Tuzan, Villain, and Kunin. Uh, we are already a number of repetitions into this very long, drony riff. Uh Simple riff, extremely powerful, very early 90s. Uh, and you'll hear here the, a good example of the more sort of b- thoroughly blended mood. And this is like the most aggressive track on the record and one of my favorites. That's kind of the closest thing to like a uh, like a second wave banger across the record. 
Yeah. You know, that first record, first riff, like, dum, 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 or, that is a, I mean, that's the kind of, they always talk about punk in this band. It's like very important to how they see themselves, but you'll very rare, you almost never hear anything that's like a throwaway superficial punk gesture right yeah. it's thoroughly digested but a riff like that that's that's the kind of riff when i talk about the discharge that's on the hordan's land ep right yeah. in the emperor and enslaved sides it's it's this way of like a modern band would just be like this is our syncopated riff and they go da, 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 da. the parts mm. would be the same right yeah they play it straight on the second half and Right, Osgar will play it straight on the second half and make it crushing. Yeah, and they weight the two sides of the riff equally. It it has this mastery of um, mastery of syn- weaponized syncopation that you get in hardcore stuff, and also we got to talk about the drumming on this record. Yeah, it's uh, it's really inter- I mean, Flores is obviously like super accomplished, but I, I really like a lot of the the super bespoke rhythms he uses across a lot of these riffs he adds a ton of color um Mm -hmm. because he's not he really tries to kind of avoid super straight blast beats or just like pure ostinato rhythms for the most part Mm -hmm. he's always trying to add like an extra rhythmic dimension on a ride cymbal or Mm -hmm. just kind of an unusual snare pattern um and he commits to it across you know entire riff sequences um, it just it just adds that extra inflection that adds to the overall like really colorful quality of the record. Oh yeah, the switch to those half blasts on the turnaround, just mm. like, ugh, like there's just explosive drumming throughout this, and the guitars are written in coordination with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's very much written to be heavy and aggressive, which as we complain about all the time is a lost art. Yeah. Um, so my last sample, um, you know, it's been a, it's been a tough year for black metal. Um, I have, uh, all the, all the Franco finish records that I love so much have all disappointed me this year. It's all just been, it's been a real drought. So I, I had to take advantage of this clip off of Herneman where finally 10 months into the year, I have the big candy riff that I'm always looking for. Yeah, yeah. 
So finally, a skate punk meets black metal riff that e- even you can accept, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's phenomenal. Oh, it's fucking incredible. It's a, this, you know, it's a, I'm always waiting for the first record of the year that allows me to kickflip to it that we're allowed to cover on the show. And finally, it took October rolling around, but finally, I've arrived at the promised land. I don't really hear the skate punk there. Oh, in, in like the first variation of it, I totally do. <laughs> just it, it's it's all in it's all in just the bass notes, you know. Those just those those infectious sort of like eight three five one bass notes. I, I I can never get enough of that shit. You will you will continue tooting the horn for skate punk as long as this show goes on. Yes, I will. <laughs> I, um, I, I'm just a Blink One Eighty Two fan in a black although, metal guy's you know, body. <laughs> there was that one Maquahito track, right? There, there was. was, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. But um, but this is uh, but I fucking love that riff. Um, you know, uh, it it um. You know, it also sounds kind of like, you know, we were talking about the French stuff. It's a bit like a Herolorn riff, right? But yeah, yeah. I mean, I was actually thinking that a few times across this record that, I mean, if there's anyone who's going to, like, seriously consider Herolorn as an influence, it's going to be these guys. You yeah, know, yeah. These guys with this sort of, like, really deep cut knowledge of liminal stuff from that era. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, they were, oh, we've sort of, like, looked at Herolorn and Toka as kind of analogous. Mm-hmm. They were, yeah. yeah. And, um, the, you know, the Hero Lorne record falls right into that pocket of 98, you know, which mm-hmm. seems to be all these ideas seem to be clustered right around 97 to 03 mm-hmm. with some modern updates. So, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, well, and, and you know, another thing I was saying to you is they played that, right? You could, I, I grant you that you could play a version of that riff, especially focusing on the central tones that would sound like this modern skate punky stuff, right? That would sound more Franco-Finnish. But the way that it is, um, you know, like like that previous big riff you played, the sheer length of it, right? Mm-hmm. The number of, of steps, the arcing structure, the overall structure through the entire sequence um, is, is unique. And also just the way he plays, right? You know, we've talked about how the weakness of a lot of this modern kind of very poppy stuff is that it's gridded, right? Mm-hmm. It's everything is sort of... Uh, Everything has these sort of uniform repetitions. It's like the guitar has the the guitar has been dragged and dropped over a you know a pre a, a drum machine grid, and this is so different from that. We were talking about like I was just saying how awesome this guitarist is, and you know you were saying yeah, it has to do with the fact that he like really plays guitar. Like, this, this is the kind of physical plane that I like best. Um, and as he lets that long riff go, he's constantly like using the not using what he's picked up from, say, all the Slavic bands and dressing it up with these like extra extra harmonies, just these like like sort of um, you know, ringing open strings. It, it has a lot more um, and it doesn't just like make it interesting it 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 packs a lot more power into the riff
All right. And we are back with another band that I've been waiting for to put out a record since we started this show. Um, this is Furton from Germany, and this is their third full-length, Martyr, uh, following up on Okeanos from 2018. This is on AOP Records. Which I was not familiar with until I was just reading up on them. It's, Me neither. What, what did you what did, what did you learn? Uh, it looks like they uh, they do a lot of stuff that's just like from sides of the scene we don't really listen to. Like they do some, um, they do like, uh, let's see, they've done like a lot of like Harakiri for the Sky releases. So they do some like post-black and they also have like Horned Almighty apparently is with them. Right, you hmm. know, for a while, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's a little bit all over the place, but it looks like there's some interesting stuff. But it's just, the press release was really good, actually. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, well, let's um. So yeah, so this is uh, this is the kind of record that when I heard it, I was like, damn, I want to review this. But this is when Terminus was uh, but a glimmer in our our collective eye. And um, back in the day, Okeanos. And so I, I was like, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I want to keep an eye on this band. Um, and I'm glad they took their time on the release because it's, uh, it's awesome. So, you know, when on the show, when we talk about this sort of, uh, you know, there are very different strains of German black metal, at least two to three different kinds. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's best known for the stompy, stompy pagan stuff. But, you know, you've also got your DSBM from back in the day, for sure. Yeah. And you've also got this scene that is like, um, you could, you know, we call like aristocratic German black metal, right? This mm-hmm. sort of high, highbrow stuff. And um, <clears throat> all, all the Von Records that, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So this is, yeah, the Von Records are like like p- paradigms of it. And this, this band and, and this record is really in that tradition. Uh, like this is maybe the best example of that tradition that's come on here, right? Um, uh, and so that makes that their heirs of Nagelfar, especially and Lunar Aurora, uh, those are two of the ones with the closest sound. But the whole Wad Von circle, uh, in general, um, and you know they have this sort of deep foresty pagan atmosphere, this sweeping ambition. And you know, high musicianship, and also this uh, this this deep well of European cultural reference points to draw from—a sense of history that goes back far before uh, <laughs> that, that that isn't their their sense of what they're working with isn't restricted to metal or to uh, music. Even this right? is definitely on the the headier, more intellectual side than we usually cover. Yeah, Not in yeah, that way either no no it not in a bad way it's not you know sometimes that stuff can be very forced this is not each record has just like one kind of uh one understated nature reference on it um this track has like uh or this 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 one has a, a track called amor fati mm-hmm. uh, love of fate uh the last one what was the track on okeanos that had that uh oh maybe maybe it was it's not in any of the track. It, I must have found it in the lyrics or something. But it basically, there's a sense that this is coming out of uh, the full cultural context and precedent for black metal in nineteen in you know later romantic and early modernist stuff in the nineteenth century, from painting to music 
to literature and philosophy. Mm -hmm. And it, of course, also traces, and just as those people were tapping into ancient roots, this is also linked back to, you know, to paganism. Uh, And the, uh, when they have a fleshed out sense of how all these things connect to each other, uh, which, which they have in common with the, the Von bands, um, on, yeah, so like, and the earlier records by this band, especially like the first, um, EP is much closer to, uh, I guess like pagan black in, in a more overt way. Mm -hmm. Uh, like the, the cover, you could even, even see it in the cover, um, and they talk about their influences as, as being, you know, turfing, Agalock, and Emperor. And, whoa, it's been a long time since anyone has, like, listed those three as a list yeah. of influences, right? I mean, just to, just to hear anyone, like, cite turfing specifically is very unusual. Yeah, and we actually heard some turfing influence probably in uh, the Asgrau record, right? Some of that. I've started to think over the years they're probably more central to, like, good, accessible kind of folk black stuff. I listened to it today. Mm -hmm. I remember liking their kind of darker record from 2005. They were always one of the folk black bands that got a pass. And I went back, and you know, you've always stressed that like a lot of modern day sort of uh, the more stompy pagan stuff draws a lot from this scene. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I listened to the self-titled; it's really good. And if it came out today, it wouldn't be stuck in the like you know uh, folk black or like folk was, black pagan metal ghetto. Yeah, it was really trapped. Um, it, it it sort of got reduced down yeah. to like the Viking metal scene, which is not a real thing. No, you know, no. Like, I, I I go back to Falkenbach, and I cannot listen to it. But I went back to this, <laughs> and I was like, this just this, this rips. Yeah, so they're, they're a fucking heavy metal band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very burly heavy metal that is clearly learned. It's very Bathory influenced, but it's clearly learned a lot from the second wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not as, uh, it, it always has these epic and very gratifying hooks, but never in the windier way. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, so like lots of stuff going into the vortex here. Uh, and as far as like stuff that's contemporary that we've covered on the show, we could say it's a pretty analogous in terms of its ambition and some of the reference points to like Into Oblivion. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe a little bit to polemicist, right? Very yeah. preoccupied. Like that's that's sort of like a Nietzsche themed band, which is not my favorite approach, but it's uh but you know, um musically there's a lot of common DNA. And then the uh the Hessian firm bands in general. But where their point of origin is right, this sort of like obtuse nineties death black stuff, this is really early two thousands. Yeah, this um, is early 2000s. Actually, as far as stuff that I would compare it to that we've covered on the show, um, uh, a record with like similar conceits but I thought was less successful would be that uh, Fernask record that we covered last year. Was that last year or 2020? I think it was oh, last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fernask, it, it was much more sort of austere and much more working with kind of orthodox materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but a similar, it, it feels like they're drawing from similar pools uh, yeah like yeah. what they're what they're gesturing toward is similar um, no that, that's a good recall and Fernask literally was on Vaughn um, yeah 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 um well it's it, it's interesting the way that we read this because I I think this is a case where everything you say is correct but like the primary things I pull from it are kind of different 
because um, I think that the the sort of like understated streak of Prague across this is really important. Um, no, I agree. And the big thing that I really pulled from this, the thing that I think is like one of the most immediate things to compare it to, is like enslaved across their discography, but especially centered on the sort of transitional records from the middle, uh, you know, Isa, Rune, Vertebrae, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, in that, you know, this this is authentically black metal in a meaningful way, but it also has a very sincere. Uh, appreciation for prog rock and using that as a set of extended techniques to make more complex black metal songs. Yeah, I get that. As soon as you said the enslaved thing in the notes, I heard it. And, you know, you could assume assume that that was a reference point, but there's some really striking resemblances. And maybe that's another link to the uh, to the Ausgrow as well. Yeah. But um, that focuses much more on the... Uh, very early enslaved yeah, stuff. Yeah, Viking Valdi and stuff. I can really hear stuff like Rune on this record, and we'll point it out when we get to it. Um, I agree that the Prague thing is huge, and when, when you know, I have more open ears for stuff like that now, when Okeanos came back, I was like, whoa, this is a little proggy for me. But it just <laughs> had this sort of um, really fully realized epic adventure atmosphere, and it was not wanky. Yeah. And so I was, like, even the most indulgent moments of expansive solos or digressions, I was just, like, really down for. Yeah, and, and I this, think that's... This record continues that. I think that's important to note is that uh, these guys really do a lot of things. They employ a lot of techniques that would be overly indulgent on other records. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the sort of, like, narrative songwriting that they have allows those ideas room to breathe. This is a really long record. It's nearly an mm-hmm. hour long. But I think it kind of justifies its running time because to execute some of the moments on this record, like at their proggiest or jazziest or what have you, you need it to be in appropriate ratios to the substantially metallic mm-hmm. material. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to just kind of extend things and give them an appropriate position in these pretty long songs. Yeah, I'm glad to have 58 minutes of this. And, you know, like, we've talked about how in many cases it's good that bands are writing shorter records, right? It's mm. like, don't pretend you have more to say than you do. Uh, we don't need all the filler. Yeah, um, this does and, not have and, filler, I will say. No, not at all. And it is also not... Um, I don't know, you know, like, a certain kind of record, even if it's quite good, can become a little bit exhausting at yeah. 58 minutes or whatever, um, which, you know, maybe I wouldn't say if I weren't in my 30s, but, like, <laughs> is, you know, it is, like, it, it becomes a less frequent listen or a less complete listen because of that, maybe. Yeah. Um, this is, because this is so, there's so much breadth here, um, and... It, it really just does not outstay it. its welcome at all. I mean, uh, and, you know, although I think both of us tend to favor music that is, in, as we were talking about in the last review, sort of like rigorously monochrome in mm-hmm. a certain way. And, I mean, yeah, pretty battering or whatever. This this record really has rising and falling action. Yeah, There is a... Uh, the songs have... Um, there's more of the, I think I tend to often enjoy songs that are more like actions or rituals or sort of um, 
thing flashes of flashes of perception and you tend to enjoy things that have a narrative quality to them as well and this is a place where we can completely agree this is really well done narrative music that is not lacking in immediacy at all yeah there's there's a real um there's a real a sincere like Mm. classical and sort of theatrical conceit underpinning all of this Mm -hmm. and i think it, it, it works out really well reminds me a little bit of that spire record from early last year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I, an, I, I, another I, another extreme metal record with a big lashing of prog and a sort of theatrical presentation. I get that, yeah. So um, anything more we want to address up front or do we want to get to nah, the samples? Let's, let's start playing these things because we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah, all right. So we're going to lead with, I mean, the big, I guess what we agree is probably the big hit single. Yeah. Um. And uh, I'm going to do, like, just straight up two-minute sample works really well here. Uh, and the record, there's a, there's a big fleshed-out lineup here. Um, there's two guitars, bass, and, in fact, a violin in the, you know, in the vein of that early 2000s, late 90s stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's a thing that almost became taboo because of folk black excesses. Yeah. And it's it's good to hear it back here. Um, and so this allows them to work with incredibly varied guitar and just string timber in general. Uh, you know, sound quality variability and incredibly dynamic structures. There's no default riffing style and they never just repeat things they're never interested in repeating things just because they only want to do it if there's a purpose to that. Um, and they, they create these instead of just climax, you know, when I complain about big climactic parts in modern nowadays, underground stuff, it's that, right. It's that it's effectively a pop hook and that the whole song works to deliver it. And is the rest of it's pointless, basically. And this is like the opposite. This band builds these big climactic sections that emerge in a meaningful way from what's around them. And then they just pile riff form on riff form, right? You get like one or two riffs in multiple styles. And they're sort of compounding and transforming the atmosphere. And the energy ratchets up and up. Um, and you'll hear here this really unique uh, autumnal feeling. Yeah. 
It's kind of amazing that that's like an eight-plus-minute song, and they arrive at such climactic moments that early on. There's some interesting kind of structural inversion stuff that happens on this record. Sometimes, a lot of the times, the the huge moments are going to be front-loaded on these long songs, and then it'll move into sort of progier, more abstract territory from there. Yeah, an immense amount happens in that first two minutes. And overall, the structure of the song is interesting. They have, you know, they basically do a, you know, a sort of A, B section, and then they launch the first massive riff, and then the second massive riff. And then as the sample ends, they're starting to decompose what they already did uh, and sort of render it more atmospheric. And then they do this kind of stuttered blast and a breakdown, Yeah, which is awesome. They do not... They're not afraid of the breakdown. It was and then that opens the song up more. It was really interesting what you said in the notes because I didn't really pick up on it, you know, when I first listened to this, the idea of, you know, elements of modern metalcore being important. But then you were like, oh, here's the metalcore riff. And I'm like, no, yeah, you're right. It's it's that style. But it's that style of early 2000s metalcore that's substantially filtered through Gothenburg. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, people, like... That riff is a, it it is a Gothenburg death metal riff. It's almost an early Monomarth riff, but it is very specifically as played in metalcore, even down to the guitar tone. Mm-hmm. However, the inflection in the plane is totally different. Like metalcore playing was always very, st- especially of the Gothenburg influence kind, was always very static. Um, that riff is just like. It's it comes in like the the tone is like searing hot, and you can hear just the wrist energy and the tremming. Yeah, uh, like we were saying about um, Vala from Asgra, right? Very physical guitar playing. Same here, but like with a much more pyrotechnic approach. Mm-hmm. And that riff comes in, and it could easily be like you know, uh, it it could easily just be the first couple phrases looped, right? And maybe it would sound cool because they've set it up really well, but it'd just be like, okay, that's a pop hook. Instead, the riff transforms as it goes. It breaks off. He breaks it off halfway through and then does this crazy downward run. And then as he returns to it, he's like staggering the timing on everything so that each phrase hits a little before or behind where you expect. And then it just goes into the next riff. Yeah. And then a, another like weird subtle detail on that is kind of like moving the position of instruments around where the bass is actually following the guitar line pretty exactly there. And it's actually the violin kind of buried underneath everything else that's holding down the the big like root note chord shapes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it, it, it's interesting the way they employ the violin. And I, are there synths on this? I feel like there's some synths. Like, uh, there must be. About. Yeah. There must um, be. But the way they use a lot of their, let's say, non-metal instruments just as a catch-all um, is you're never really going to hear like specifically like big violin runs. It really is Mm -hmm. used as more like atmospheric texture or in the position of a bass or just in ways that you wouldn't expect it. You know, you hear of a violin being a primary part of a metal band. You think that's going to be one of, if not the main melodic voice, but really it's used almost more like a bass instrument on, on a lot of this record. That's admirable discipline. Right. They're like, you know, because, yeah, you can trot that sort of thing out as a novelty thing or to like deliver these kind of 
hook parts, and they just refuse to do that. And it's also more like Seer Bliss, which you mentioned when you uh, first put this on our, uh, oh, our schedule. Yeah. God, I did, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's like that's like a, a very strange lateral comparison, but I get what you mean. Like, because um, Seer Bliss is such a unique band and has such a such a singular atmosphere. But I mean, this is fundamentally cool wizard music in the same way that they They're, are. Yeah, cool. The, yeah, man, we haven't heard much cool wizard music this year, and this is a hundred percent cool wizard music. Yeah, we've only been listening to like really gross, death. morbid angel type death metal this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, death metal and like yeah, uh, and like very as the most. <laughs> The most left of center black metal we can find, right? <laughs> like uh, because the regular stuff is so boring right now. But the um, but like, but that was um, this is very cool wizard music, and you know, like Seer Bliss, it has Seer Bliss has an immediate hookiness to it, even in the old stuff, mm-hmm. and that prog, the the this like thoroughgoing prog influence, but it's um. There's always something much more serious musically and uh, spiritually going on. Yeah, it's it music. seems like um, there is this whole kind of lineage of um, prog black metal that never feels proggy in mm-hmm. you know the the the, the <laughs> in the deliberately insulting version mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. word. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, but there is a lineage of like serious progressive black metal that is influenced by all the usual suspects of 70s prog rock and neoclassical ideas and folk, but uses them as an asset to making profound black metal songs. Yeah. And I, I want to talk a bit about the mood too, right? So with like that stacking, you get that just like, br- that just like blinding bright uh, lead and you know, in a sense, that's the hook. But then you, it goes. Then it goes into the hook riff, right? Mm-hmm. Then it goes into a thing that's like a chorus payoff riff that's more corded um, and more double bass. Um, and that whole passage from the very beginning, right through the end, right? It it comes in so hot with that just like screaming kind of uh, sort of like like kind of you know, grinding dissonant stuff at the beginning, that's very much like Rune Era Enslaved, once I realized mm-hmm. once you pointed it out. But like kind of more more aggro. And uh and, you know, they have they're bouncing the black metal and the more sort of prog or metalcore parts off each other. And there's just this this you know, like the Asgra, there's an undertone of sorrow throughout this record that you'll hear in other places. There's a sense of like autumnal energy right uh an awareness of loss or pain or whatever however it's like all that gets gathered up in this just surging bursting energy uh and like i feel like when i listen to a track like that like or to a sequence like that i just think of like you know like a a blast of wind going through like orange leaves you know yeah and and like the orange leaves are part of it, and they're like a really important. You know, they provide. There's this color to it, and the specifically, you know, this autumnal sense of things falling and things, uh, things dying. But at the same time, it's in the leaves that you you see the wind. Right. The really important thing going there is the wind, which you see through the leaves. And this music, no matter how much it uh, sort of no matter how much it sort of uh, embraces or like lingers in these moments of sort of uh, 
yeah, more more sorrowful mood. There's always this just wind blasting through it. Yeah. Um. So that is obviously. I mean, that is like the obvious huge single off the record. Mm-hmm. If you can have a you know a, an eight minute hit single. Um. So I really like that track, and my favorite parts of the album are shocking the one with the ones with you know sick metalcore leads and stuff but i i think maybe the stuff that's the most musically interesting to me in terms of talking about it is some of the gnarlier stuff so i want to go to latha uh which is the next track um not a dark tranquility cover um and this begins with uh, a much more uh, kind of gnarly traditionally black metal uh dissonant section but what you're going to hear over these couple minutes is a very organic, almost jammy progression into a more melodic take on basically the same general melodic idea. Um, all of these sort of riff forms you're going to hear are based off the same basic cluster of notes, but just progressively rearranged into more and more sort of emotionally satisfying melodic resolutions. Um mm. And I just think it's really interesting. And for some reason, it strikes me. It's like, I bet these guys listen to a lot of Tool. Like, they're listening to a lot of Lateralis, you know, the sort of... Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, the sort of, like, jammy, progressive, but still, like, viscerally satisfying thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's just listen to this and listen to the way that these sort of primordial ideas keep getting etched out in different ways. And you end up in a very different place from where you started, even though nothing has really fundamentally changed. So yeah, you can kind of hear how like that that is like obviously like rigorously pared down to a certain set of notes and chords and they're like mm-hmm. we have to get to the next passage 
using only these tools at our disposal. They sort of paint themselves into a corner and then have to find a novel way out of it. Uh, because you're mm. beginning with something really sort of harshly dissonant, like almost like Blood Oss Nord style, that progressively sort of rearranges itself into, at first, something that's more kind of second wavy and then more definitively melodic as new voices emerge, new leads emerge, stuff like that. Nothing fundamentally changes about the, the, the chord structure underlying basically that whole section, but it just gets adjusted. It gets pushed around and molded by some of those lead voices, and I just think it's a really interesting way to, to structure a whole section of music, and it's like very very fundamentally unheavy metal, but in a cool way. You know, it's, it's truly prog. Yeah, man, that that part is is very cool. Um, I, I when we were listening to it, I was saying around at, at around a minute mark, right? Once all the layers have come in, I see exactly what you mean. It starts to get get move away a little bit. It starts like the the dissonant stuff remains in the undercarriage of the riffing, but they start bringing in this sort of um, sort of uh, you know dolorous kind of more Dorian scale runs over it right mm -hmm. that the sort of arpeggiated stuff um and you've got the different layers of the music i mean it's kind of a constant on this record or it's very frequent there's like actual counterpoint happening there between yeah. the arpeggiated part and between the rhythm riffing going on underneath it which is not just like this sort of gridded one two three four bass for the arpeggios there's like a the riff is one of those original riffs that started like a riff like the one that started the song is still going on under there and sort of grinding against it at its own uh with its own rhythmic shape yeah the the arrangement of this music it's i i, I think the arrangement of these songs probably took an enormous amount of time even if you know like individual riff ideas were popped out pretty quickly mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, for the most part, the individual riffs are totally subordinated to the songs mm -hmm. in a way that is yeah. quite refreshing. And it's not like, I mean, there are phenomenal riffs on here, but one reason they're so good is that they're not being eh, fetishized. They're um, fundamentally structural in nature. Everything, everything on this record is like fundamentally structural more than anything. Yes, they're they're always, yes, they're they're functional and whereas some riffs are physically functional right these are structurally functional i hear that and and also often very physical um but yeah it is a a different approach to riffing and the craftsmanship in each of them is just great like if you zoom in on the detail there's plenty to reward oh yeah uh, no this is definitely something that would reward a lot of listens because i mean even now i'm like picking out things i haven't heard there's a lot of subtleties in the production like little voices melodically that it's really hard to disentangle some of these really intricate sections until you've listened to them a fair mm -hmm. number of times well my next sample is actually kind of like yours um that track crank letha cranks up a bit right towards mm -hmm. the end yeah okay so you get to this climactic end of the first, it's, it's very clear to, you know, four tracks, four tracks in 58 minutes. First side ends after uh, the Death Metal Guy sample uh, just now. And then it's like, I remember after those four tracks the other night thinking, well, well, damn, that was fucking good. What are they going to do now? It's like, and this is like, how do you pace such a dense album? 
when it's 58 minutes, right? Because there's this, um, you know, your listener in some sense needs a break at that point because there's just been, you know, there's tons of variation in tempo and mood, but it's just very dense music and each song is kind of massive in its own right. Uh, and uh, involves some very aggressive blasting often. Um, and so you get to the end, like, well, what are they going to do now? And the customary move at this point is to throw in an ambient interlude. Yeah. Right? And that can be, you can do that very badly. You could do one that's actually good and works just fine. But Furtan aren't going to do that. Right? They've set themselves certain parameters, not just for, like, individual moments, as you were saying on that last track, but for the whole record. And th there's nothing, one, one of the parameters, or one of them, is like, there can't be anything extrinsic to the main weave of the music. Uh, and there has to be that continuous movement throughout it, a forward motion. So, um, so yeah, so how do you, you know, after after all that, how, how do you how do you break it? Well... Why don't you drop a Dead Can Dance song in there? Very deliberate and very interesting 
usage of, of sort of intricate right hand work on the guitar. Um, like especially across that final blast beat, there mm-hmm. there's, there's an interesting like double time triplet rhythm being played mm-hmm. across the four four blast. It's it's very subtle, but it, it adds a lot of it really adds more dimension to what's going on. Yeah, you're like well we've we've talked before about like the you know marking time with picking and mm. articulation as a way of making just relatively simple tremor it's a lot more powerful um and and yeah the, those sort of cross rhythms there are really effective that was a technique that gregorian used a lot too is they mm-hmm. it, it's it was sort of at least superficial like s- much more stripped down music and maybe superficially simpler but they had these incredibly dense cross rhythms going on and this guy's doing that there with the you know the three against four thing and the riff itself has different times in it, right? He'll do the this the sort of the the uh, the sort of machine gun chug, and then a different rhythm on the sort of conclusion of the riff. It's um that part is also very enslaved. I think I think they're like the blasting is maybe a little more intense than that mid era of enslaved, if I mm-hmm. remember right. But it's I can definitely hear that there and throughout this section, right? It's got this sort of um. One thing Enslave does, and one thing that the uh, the Vaughn bands also did, is this use of sort of, you know pretty clearly Middle Eastern melodies or Mediterranean melodies mm-hmm. uh, without sounding curvy sword, snake charmer, slinky dance. Yeah, right. It's effectively integrated into the sort of European atmosphere. Um, and into the metalness of it. You know, we've we've talked sometimes about like how those sort of like that can like verge into thrash metal minor, right? Which can just <laughs> my, cripple and my my, in, my inherent suspicion of the Phrygian scale, <laughs> exactly, right? Which can just cripple a certain kind of extreme metal song, or it's like crippled most modern war metal. Um, yeah, but uh, but like here, those are being used really effectively, right? And it's being used to generate tension, not sort of accidentally diffuse it, um, and. Uh, the and the dead can dance thing is real like especially like when when the sort of those kind of middle eastern uh harmonies come in and then like that's sort of like i don't know what it is the dulcimer sounding thing that's not a dulcimer yeah there's you know there's some like, the, uh, thing. Yeah. is it like a kithara or something yeah um it's uh you know i mean, it could sound ancient greek too right is kind of the vibe but it's um it, you can really hear the instead of just default ambient, they're referencing sort of rich neoclassical music, right from the eighties. And at the very beginning of that track, you get really a more prominent place for the violin. Uh, she's still working kind of in encounter in, in this sort of nominally supporting role, but the the thing the guitar is doing, which is much louder and in the foreground, is you know, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's heavy, but it's standard. There are these swelling, epic, more kind of consonant riffs coming in under it from the violin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, a, the, the violin is is rarely the primary voice, but it's always crucial harmonically to what's happening in any given song. 
Yeah, and the last reference, yeah, so basically it's like instead of doing a throwaway track, they're just going to have like a massive two-minute build at the beginning of a full song that goes to really aggressive blasting. And, it, you know, they'll do it with just like heavy downbeats and all this kinds of all this kind of stuff. And it's also very much like Ruins of Everest. Yeah, um, harmonically. yeah. I mean, Ruins like, of Everest is all over this record. Um, obviously, these guys mm-hmm. execute in a very different way, but the general idea of you know, kind of aristocratic German extreme metal with a with a very broad focus and a sort of epic scope is yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it owes a lot to that whole tradition, and I mean that goes right back to Von Records since that's uh, Alexander Meisenwald's label, correct? Mm. I, my, my, von uh, Meisenwald, but um, oh, you just yeah. confused it with Eisenwald Tonschmidt, <laughs> which is a different label, very different label. Uh, Let's see, actually. Is that his... I assume it's dudes from their... It, well, I, it's got to be dudes from their scene, but... Uh, I thought it was... No, um, address is Sven Ding, Dinninghoff. Um, well, that's Additional a, that's notes? A yeah. Oh, oh, so street. Okay, trivia owned by Sven von, ha- von Hackelberg. Hackelberg. Um, okay. Oh, it's the guy from Nagelfar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So it's just... It was a really tight scene of people but yeah and and there are all sorts of cool ways you can trace this it's like that kind of eastern guitar sound uh that you get in a lot of the sort of in a lot of the blasting parts on runs of everest i was talking to someone on discord about how that really comes from the guitarist in um in nagelfar yeah yeah. Mm. Yeah. anyway so that's a tangent but hey uh tangent for the people (laughs) <laughs> Let's go to the last track that you want to sample. Yeah, so uh, speaking of the um, the idea of the Dead Can't Dance part or just sort of the, the non-metal parts, um, typically when we cover records like this, we, we tend to not sample the sort of um, interlude stuff that'll happen just because it's not of primary interest to us. And usually in the majority of extreme metal records, I think we can agree, a lot of those tend to be kind of gestural and filler. Um, that's not the case on this record. Uh, so there's a fair number of uh, sort of like clean guitar or like synth interludes across these songs, but they have narrative meaning to the songs. They're not there to occupy space and to fill time. They're there to serve a function in the song itself. So I want to go to the second to last track, Menetekel, uh, which is going to, and the sample is going to feature one of those. And I think it's going to be pretty immediately obvious how it actually serves to propel the song forward and is not merely a gesture that, oh, we can do things outside of Blast.
So as you can hear, that whole extended section there, really uh, from the beginning of the clean guitar break through that solo into the concluding riff of that sample, is an, an entire structure designed to reorient the song, um, to to get it to a, a very different place from where it started, um, and it executes it magnificently. Like as you said, these sections were the annoying parts of early two thousands yeah. prog black records. <laughs> when when the riffing when the acoustic when the riffing just drops clean into the acoustic guitar, your right? eyes just immediately roll, and you're like, "Oh, like, I'm due for forty five seconds it, of this shit now." It, it's the it's the naturey equivalent of the uh, the dreaded mid tempo orthodox arpeggio. Yeah, right? yeah, um, yeah. Um, but but here, in this case. Yeah. Here it has well, a purpose. In this yeah. Yeah. Well, it completely continues. It's like discontinuous in terms of tempo and texture, but it completely continues the mood. And in a sense, picks up moods from elsewhere on the record. Mm hmm. You know what I mean? Like, uh,. And, and, you know, that's some of the more pensive side of the autumnal vibe, right? But very quickly, right, a riff layers over it, this sort of, like, high, faint trem that is basically echoing the riff that hit before the drop, right? Yeah. And and then once it bursts into that solo, that solo is indulgent, but it's completely earned by the setup before it. And really, what we have here is the black metal guy finally enjoying one of the most resolutely prog parts of the record. I swear to God, one day I will get you to listen to moving pictures. <laughs> 